Please take your Bibles and open to 1 John chapter 2, looking at verses 18 through 27. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. And if you are able, please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Pray with me, please. Father, we're coming to your word, which is infallible and is inerrant. It is God-breathed, and you've given us to his Father to teach and to rebuke and to correct and to train so that the man of God may be thoroughly, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God, remove every distraction, whether it's mental or physical or emotional, and prepare us, Father, to hear the preaching of your word. May the words of my mouth this day, may the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing to, your, to you, God. You are a rock and a redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Please be seated. As most of you know, I grew up in a large Baptist church in East Tennessee. And one of my favorite memories about that church was walking in the fellowship hall every Sunday. And I would walk by one of the walls, and uh, and on that wall was a big poster. And the poster on that wall had a question on it. And here's what the question said. It said, if someone accused you of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence in your life to prove it? And every Sunday I'd walk by that poster, I'd be challenged with that question, and I would take it personally. I would ask, if someone indeed looked at my life, would my life back up what I say about Jesus? 
And what the poster is really asking is this, is yes, do your actions, do your doctrines. Does your character really proclaim what you or what your church says about the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, the question that the poster asked there in my church, it's, it's basically the question that John is trying to answer here in 1 John, specifically in the first two chapters. He's answering the question, what should the life of a Christian look like? Do you remember a few weeks ago, I kind of walked over here to this side of the stage, and I said that John, in, within his book, has three evidences that should be in the life of every single Christian. That if you, have, if you say you know Jesus as your Savior, there's going to be three things that's in your life. And here, here were the three. You should live righteously, should love your neighbor, and you should have a proper doctrine of Christ, a proper Christology. You should live righteously, you should love your neighbor, you should have a proper Christology. And as we've walked through this book, specifically the last couple months, we've learned and we've listened to John teach us specifically about those first two. We first learned that John taught us to live righteously, that that's going to be an evidence of being a believer in Jesus Christ Flip the pages of Scripture with me, maybe back one chapter to chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Do you remember what he said about living righteously? He said, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He uses the word walk there. Walk is your daily conduct, your day-in, your day-out conduct. And John says if you really know Jesus Christ, you're not going to walk in darkness. That is, going against whatever God says, living a life of disobedience. You're actually going to walk in the light. You're going to seek to please and obey God, to trust and obey him, that that's an evidence of being a believer. He also handled the second one. Loving your brother. Look back at chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. John said this, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. John says, if you claim to be a believer but you hate your brother, John says, you're actually walking in darkness. You're not walking in the light. In fact, there's no evidence that you belong to Jesus because if you know Jesus, the Bible says you're going to love your brother. You're going to be self-sacrificial to your brother. Well, today he gets to number three. We've seen live righteously. We've watched him talk about loving your brother. Today he gets to that third one, proper Christology, in other words, proper doctrine about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the heart of our text today. Because the Bible says if you truly know Jesus as your Savior, if you're following hard after him as your Lord, you should have a proper understanding about who Jesus is. In other words, believers will know the truth, specifically the truth about Jesus and as we enter into this more of a lengthy section today, John's going to focus his text 
on Christology, but it's going to really break down into three parts, and here's the parts of your sermon today. He's going to talk, first of all, about the perseverance of true believers. Secondly, and maybe the major part of the sermon, is a focus on Christology, that proper doctrine of Christ. And then finally, he's going to talk about remaining or abiding in the truth. That's going to be a key word for us today, abide, abiding in the truth. I want you to reflect back in just a moment on the text that Daryl read from John 15, because abiding in the truth is key for believers. So today, let's look at these three, the perseverance of the true believer, proper Christology, and then finally, remaining or abiding in that truth. Look back with me at verses 18 through 19 of our text. Verses 18 through 19 say, Children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we, do, therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that, they might be, that it might become plain that they are not of us. Before we dive into this perseverance aspect, let's review some of the context of 1 John. Several weeks ago when we started this book, I gave you a little background, a little history about some of the false teaching that was going on in the church. And it's what's known as early Gnosticism or what's called docetism. It was a heresy that was starting to infect the church. Here's what that means. Docetism comes from the Greek word dokeo, which means to seem or appear. And the docetists would teach the congregation that Jesus really didn't have flesh and blood. He just seemed or appeared to have flesh and blood, and here's why. Because in the mind of the early Gnosticists, anything physical, anything material, was considered inherently bad. So for God to come down and to wrap himself in something physical, in something material, that was unheard of. That would be bad. So the docetists would say to the people of God, Jesus wasn't really a man. He just seemed or appeared to be a man. He really didn't have flesh and blood. So the attack by these false teachers, you can, you can see it clearly, it's clearly against the doctrine of Christ. They were attacking the humanity of Jesus. And other times, they even attacked the divinity of Jesus, that he was God. And if you attack the humanity and the divinity of Jesus, you're attacking his person. You're attacking his work. You're attacking what God clearly says about the atonement. And they were basically saying, Jesus is not who the apostles said he was. And saying that Jesus is not man or that Jesus is not God, that, beloved, is the spirit of Antichrist. This principle teaching that rejects the humanity or the divinity of Christ, that is this principle of being against Christ, against the doctrine of Christ, and it's what John calls the spirit of Antichrist. Now, yes, Here in this text, even in verse 18, 
John talks about one specific Antichrist that is to come one day. And I absolutely believe it's the same guy that Paul mentions in 2 Thessalonians called the man of lawlessness. But that's not John's focus in this text. His focus in this text is not on one person to come, but rather this massive false doctrine that's being in the congregation of the church of denying the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. And John right here calls them in verse 18, Antichrists. And let's be very careful that we understand what he says about them. Look one more time at verse 19. Regarding these false teachers, listen to this. John says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. John is saying these antichrists, they were clearly false teachers. But did you catch what he said here? They were false teachers that started in the church. As John says, they went out from us. They were there in the church. But he made it very clear, they were not of us. For if they had been, they would have continued with us. Have you heard the phrase, a wolf in sheep's clothing? Some have called these docetists, these early Gnostics, wolves in sheep's clothing. I'm going to take it a step further. They're wolves in shepherd's clothing. As teachers within the church wearing the shepherd's robe, they went beyond the sheep and they moved into a teaching aspect of a shepherd. You follow that? And they weren't just wolves in sheep's clothing. They were wolves in shepherd's clothing, which is very, very dangerous for the church. And it teaches us as a church that we need to be on guard against wolves in shepherd's clothing. And I'll speak to the elders here real quick. Elders, that's one of our callings. That's one of our functions, to guard and protect the sheep of the church. And as a good elder apostle in this text, John is calling out false teaching when he sees it. He's calling out a wolf in shepherd's clothing. And he's saying that, yeah, they might have started with us, but I want to tell you, they're not of us. They don't believe what you truly need to believe about Jesus Christ, and he separates himself from us. And one of the reasons he says that they are not of us, I don't know if you caught this, this is the end of verse 19. He says, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. That phrase, they would have continued with us. In other words, they would have kept on abiding with us had they been of the truth. Jesus said it this way, if you abide in my word, you are indeed my disciples. But these men, 
these false teachers. They did not continue to stay. They left the church. Indeed, they did not persevere. They did not abide. And abide is the key word. It's the criterion, Jesus says, for determining true discipleship. Abide means to remain, to stay, to live, to dwell, to continue. Simply, it means to persevere. As Daryl read a few moments ago from John 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, stay with me, connect with me. And in this context right here, John says these men didn't do that. They left. Because if they had been of them, they would have continued with us, but they didn't. Yes, these folks, these false teachers, they started in the church, but they didn't continue to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, that should serve as a warning for all of us here today. Again, first of all, even to our elders, be ready to guard and protect the congregation from false, from false teaching. But number two, it teaches you that even a non-believer can be within the context of the church. That just because you attend church, just because your name is on the membership role of a church, just because you're involved in a church, doesn't necessarily make you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, following hard after Christ, repenting of your sin, embracing Christ, and continuing to abide with Him. That's what the Bible says is an evidence of a true believer, one who perseveres, who will never, ever, ever abandon the things of God. One commentator said it this way, the perseverance of the saints, it's a biblical doctrine. But it's not a doctrine designed to lull the indifferent into a sense of false security. If you're sitting on the church pew and you are indifferent to the things of God, don't be lulled into a false security that you belong to God. Even in John's day, there were those who sat on the pew who didn't belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And ultimately, they did not persevere. So my question for you today is this. Are you persevering with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you abiding with Him? I'll tell you a story real quick from the Gospel of John. So John, who wrote 1 John, also wrote the Gospel of John. And he records a story in his sixth chapter about the feeding of the 5,000. You remember that story? I love telling that story to my six-year-old Jack. You know, Jesus gets two fish and five loaves of bread, and there's over 5,000 there that day, and he breaks the fish and the bread and prays, and a miracle happens. And all those people who were hungry are fed. And how many baskets were left over? Twelve baskets that day, right? Well, what happened after that? What happened to those folks, some of those folks who were there who received that meal? The Bible says the next day they went looking for Jesus. They didn't know where he had gone. And when they came up to Jesus, Jesus says this. It's in the text. He says, you're not coming to me because you believe I'm the Son of God and have the words of eternal life. You're coming to me because you're hungry again. Yesterday I fed your belly. Now your belly's empty. You want more food and Jesus takes the opportunity to teach these people about eating spiritual food and drinking spiritual drink. And that's when he gets into that conversation about eat my flesh, drink my blood, and starts teaching them what it really means to have eternal life. And you know what the Bible says? 
after he stood and taught them spiritually, I mean, he fed them physically, and after he taught them spiritually, you know what happened? Most of the people who were following him turned around and left. They abandoned him. They did not persevere. They did not abide. They walked away. They wanted their physical belly fed. They didn't want to stop and have their spiritual belly fed. And then it happened. Jesus looks at the 12. You remember this? And he says to the 12, will you also go away? And Peter steps up. Sometimes when Peter speaks, you don't know if something good or something bad is going to come out, right? But Peter steps up and says, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the promised one of God. Amen? And right then and there, Peter, as the leader of those disciples, he decided, Jesus, we're going to abide with you. We're going to persevere with you. These other folks, they were here just for the benefits of maybe a free meal, but we, we're going to abide with you. We're going to persevere with you because where are we going to go? It's a great question because you're going to go somewhere. You're going to follow something. You're going to believe something. These people, these, the majority of the people turned and walked away. They followed their own belly. But Peter and the disciples, they were going to follow Jesus. They were going to persevere. They were going to abide at the feet of Christ. Beloved, sometimes we view the Lord Jesus like a free meal. We'll follow him if he gives us a free meal. But when that goes away, will we then persevere? What causes you to lose faith? Let's keep our mind and hearts on the right thing, following and persevering after Jesus Christ, walking after him all the days of our lives. So the first one is the perseverance of the true believer. But then secondly, let's turn our hearts to what I'm calling proper Christology, proper doctrine about Jesus. Look at verses 22 and 23. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. You know, to John, telling the truth was a big deal. Truth was a big deal to John. We read the first chapter in verse 6 of the first chapter, he talks about those not practicing the truth. He's the one who quoted Jesus as he wrote John chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. He quoted Jesus in the high priestly prayer in John 17, when Jesus said, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. For John, truth is a big deal. So he asked this very bold question. Did you hear it in verse 22? Who's the liar? Who's the one not telling the truth? And he boldly says, he is the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Notice what John is doing here. He's going to the very heart of the gospel. John is confronting these heretics who are bent at turning the doctrine of Christ into a lie. 
For at the heart of Christianity is the fact that Jesus Christ is God and he's man. Let's talk a little bit of church history here for just a moment. Do you know in the first 500 years of the church, after the resurrection of Christ, there was four councils in the church, and they all had to do with who Jesus was. Is he God? Is he man? Who is Jesus? In 325, there was a council called the Council of Nicaea. It was about the divinity of Christ. Was he really God? And at that council, there was a group of false teachers called the Arians. And the Arians said this about Jesus. They said, there was a time when Jesus was not. In other words, Jesus had to be created. And then they said that Jesus is not of the same substance with his father. He was of a similar substance with his father. In other words, he's not God. Jesus was created and he's not God. But God brought a man named Athanasius to that council. And Athanasius, using the scriptures, argued that there was never a time when Jesus was not. You like that language? Count the knots and the, and the no's. There was never a time when Jesus was not. In other words, he was never created. He was before all things. And he's not just of similar substance with his father. He's of the same substance with his father. In our communicants class, I've been having the kids say, same in substance, equal in power and glory. Because that came from Nicaea, that Christ was the same in substance with his father. Several years later, in 381, there was another council. It was the Council of Constantinople. In that council, they weren't arguing over the divinity of Christ. They were arguing the humanity of Christ. Is Jesus really a man? And there was a group called the Apollinarians, and they said he's not really a man because his divinity kind of swallowed up his humanity. He really is not fully man like we are. Yet at the end of that council... They looked at the scriptures and said, yes, Jesus really is man. He's 100% man. Nicaea taught us that he was God. This council taught us that he was man. You fast forward another few years, 431, you come to the council of Ephesus. At the council of Ephesus, there was this argument that, that, that Jesus was actually two people. He was two persons. One person was God, one person was man. And as they talk through these things, they recognize that's, that's not the case. He's actually one person with two natures. Later on, you have Chalcedon. This is 451. Chalcedon says they're, 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 they, the, the false teachers are bringing all this false teaching that, that's merging the two natures of Christ into one. That, that Jesus is this confused mixture of God and man. And at the end of Chalcedon, orthodoxy reigned because they said, no, Jesus is not a confused mixture of God and man. He's the God-man without confusion, without conversion, without separation, and without division. This is what happened in the first four or five hundred years of the church. All these topics come up about who Jesus is. Now, is it important for us to know church history? Yes, it is. But what's more important than that? There's something more important for you to know other than what Nicaea and Constantinople and Ephesus and Chalcedon say. What is that? It's what the Word of God says. 
Because all those councils, these antichrists who are mentioned in this text, even you and I sit in subjection to the Word of God. It is the only rule for faith and practice. So the most important question we ask about Jesus and proper Christology is this, what does the Bible say about who Jesus is? Let's walk through that for just a moment. The next time you read the Gospels, I want to invite you to look at how many times the gospel writer goes to such great lengths to show you both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus Christ. Think about some of these texts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Think about Jesus' birth. It shows that he's a man. He was born of a woman. He had flesh and blood. He was laid in a manger. He needed his mother's milk. He needed the care and provision of a family. Why? Because he's a man. But also think about his birth and Jesus being God. Because the Bible says he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit without sin. Think about that. Ordinary generation is between a man and a woman, but Christ came to us by virtue of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's God. Think about Jesus' life. His life. In life, the Bible says that he would hungry and get thirsty. After that 40 days of fasting, the Bible says Jesus was hungry and thirsty. Can you imagine how hungry and thirsty you would be? Why was Jesus hungry and thirsty? It's because he was a man. But we just talked about that story in John 6 where Jesus solved the problem of hunger, didn't he? By taking two fish and five loaves, breaking them, and feeding 5,000 people. And he did that because he's God. Think about Jesus being asleep on the boat in Mark chapter 4. He was tired. You ever need a nap? We all need naps. Why? Because we're human. We have weakness. We have frailty. Jesus took a nap, the Bible says in Mark 4, on a boat. But the same day, a storm comes up. Waves are crashing. Wind is blowing. The disciples are panicked. They wake up Jesus, and what does he do? Peace, be still. The rain stops. The wind stops. The waves stop because he's God. Think about Jesus walking. So that's strange. But think about it. Jesus walked with physical legs on a physical earth, right? He had to walk from place to place because he was a man. But now I want you to think about Jesus walking on what? On water. Anybody here do that? He walked on water because he's God. And maybe most importantly, think about Jesus on the cross in agony, in pain, blood coming out of his hands and his feet. He bled because he was a man. He had flesh and blood. But three days later, the Bible says that he rose from the grave. Because he was God. The gospel writers go to such great lengths to show us 
the humanity and the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, this is proper Christology. This is what John says is important for you and for me to know regarding the person and work of Christ. Because our salvation is based on the fact that he is fully man and he is fully God. And John, right here in this text, is calling out the docetist. He's calling out the Gnostic who would, who would deny anything about the humanity or the deity of Jesus. And beloved, we need to be ready to do the same thing. Who is the liar? It's he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Do you know your theology about Jesus? Do you know who he is and what he has done for you? The Bible says that's an evidence of a true believer. And then finally, our last point today, remaining, abiding in this truth. Verses 24 and 25 say, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. I lost my place. Let me find it. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has made to us, eternal life. Beloved, we live in a world that's going to continue to attack the doctrine of Christ. What are you to do and what am I to do in that situation? This text has the answer. Continue to abide in the truth that's already been given to us. You know, that's a, you know that, that statement's not original with me. When the Apostle Paul was facing death, he wrote one last letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy. And in the third chapter of 2 Timothy, and this will be some homework for you, in the third chapter of 2 Timothy, in verse 14, he says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. He tells Timothy, continue in what you have learned. In other words, the last thing Paul's telling him before he dies is he's not telling him to go make something else up. He's saying, Timothy, you need to continue in what you've already learned. In other words, you need to abide and grow in the doctrine that's been planted in your heart and your mind that is true and biblical. Continue in what you grow. Parents, that that verse right there should be, should be our goal as parents. When our kids leave our houses, we should be able to look at them and say, I want you to continue in what you have known, what you have learned. Right there. Paul was in a place in his life where he could tell his spiritual son, Timothy, that truth. That should be a goal for us as parents. And what Paul is saying is simply this. Abide. Continue. Dwell with what you've learned, with what you firmly believed. Why? Because John says this, because this leads to eternal life. Having a proper doctrine about Christ, knowing Him, knowing what He's done for us. John says it. It's the last two words of verse 25. Verse 25 says, and this is the promise that He has made us eternal life. I'm sure it reminds him of John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have eternal life. That is the promise 
John says, of abiding in this truth. So, beloved, as we close today, as we noted a moment ago, we began and ended this sermon with the word abide. Like the branch abides in the vine, Christ is calling us to persevere in our faith, to abide in him. These docetists, these early Gnostics, they didn't. They didn't continue with John. They abandoned the faith. They were found to be wolves in shepherd's clothing. And John says to us, be warned. Just because you sit on the church pew, just because you find yourself in a shepherd's cloth or in sheep's clothing, that doesn't mean you automatically know the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, have a proper Christology. Study what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ. When you read the Gospels, look for his humanity. Look for his divinity. Because again, John is teaching us three evidences. Live righteously, love your neighbor, and have a proper doctrine of Christ. And then finally, beloved, abide in him. Abide in him. Continue in what you've learned, as Paul told Timothy. Never leave the side of Jesus. And I'll end the sermon with asking you the same question Jesus asked the disciples. Are you also going to go away? What's going to keep you at the side of Jesus? And I pray for you and I pray for me that our hearts would be like that of Peter who said to Jesus, where are we going to go? You, Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One from God. Beloved, let's continue to sit at the feet of Jesus like a branch abiding in the vine. Let us dwell and remain with him. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, we're challenged by your word. The hymn says it this way, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Father, when that comes within our hearts and our minds, remind us of the words of Peter. Where are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Father, help us to know and understand the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ and how our salvation is based upon that truth, that he is God and that he is man. We ask all of this, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.